Welcome to Take Note. This is episode number 102, I believe, although once you get past 100, it gets harder to remember those little details. Oh, chuckle, chuckle. Fuzz around the edges. Isn't that right, my old friend Adam? How you doing? I'm doing all right, my old friend Ted. I have been thinking about something since we discussed it last week. I in our I discuss- thought I smelled something burning. Yep. <laughs> in it's our discussion this, of Diane... This kind of episode, apparently. <laughs> in our discussion of Diane Lane movies, in which I believe we referenced one Diane Lane movie, uh, <laughs> you, you commented that Under the Tuscan Sun featured a younger Sandra Oh, and... It occurred to me, and I've been just trying to find the right words for this, that whenever you watch a movie, you are seeing the younger version of that actor because yeah. it was filmed in the past. Yes. Yes. And, and then, time mm-hmm, only and t- moves in one direction. But I have one one exception. Ah. Bad Grandpa. You're seeing an old Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> Johnny Knoxville is the exception that that blows up the entire theory that time only moves in one direction. That's right. I've been working on that for a week. <laughs> it, it, it could only ever be thus. Yep. I, that's that's the the paradox that we deserve. I've I've tried to um, write that in like a very thoughtful way. Like uh, with cinema, you're always seeing the past, and then I ended up on the except for bad grandpa punchline in the end. Yeah. Well, we uh, we tend to ask each other uh, what we have got, which means what have you written down in your notebook lately? Uh, so, Adam, what do you got? Okay, Ted. Well, I I've written down here, Art of Rivalry, which is a book I'm reading by a guy whose name is Smee. I think it's Samuel Smee, if I remember correctly. Uh, and and there's a line in the book that I jotted down: the Gargoyle Club, which is some uh, I don't know some club bar party area in 1940s London had a ballroom a drawing room a room for coffee and then and then I just wrote down here what is a drawing room and I walked into my basement um and I consulted with a book that old professor made me buy about 20 years ago ago Brewer's dictionary of phrase and fable and I looked up drawing room drawing room was originally the withdrawing room to which the ladies retired after dinner leaving the men to continue their drinking etc this is not something that i ever knew i found it fascinating and uh brewer's dictionary of phrase and fable is always you know once a year you crack that thing open and it gives you exactly what you're looking for it's surprising how often it has exactly what you're looking for in it it's a, a mystery with a real yeah with a with a perfect solution. Now what what's the fable part of phrase and fable? Well, I think I think a lot of phrases come from uh, fables, and so I think there's a lot of that in there as well. I believe. Yeah. Fascinating. I recently visited a, a historic home here in the Houston area, uh, the home of uh, Ima Hogg. <laughs> okay. Short for short for. I'm a gene. I'm a gene hog. My daughter said, uh, you know, if I were her, I probably would have gone by I'm a gene. <laughs> um, 
but there were there were many different rooms uh you know drawing rooms and and uh there was a music room and then a parlor and then you find yourself wondering what's the difference between a parlor and a drawing room and it's really something but they were all all of those rooms were delightful how was Uh, the drawing room you probably don't remember you probably didn't well i don't i don't remember close attention to the drawing room I mean, any of those rooms I would happily withdraw to in almost any circumstance whatsoever. Uh, parlor, originally the reception room in a monastery, etc., where the inmates could see and speak to their friends. Wow. Is that in your book of yeah. fables and foibles? Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable. Now, what does it feel like to read this book? Is it... it words with you know a single phrase with a little short description or is it yep each one occupies a page or no No, it looks like it looks like an old dictionary with uh you know the words are bold and sometimes there's a couple sentences and sometimes there's like a paragraph it's a lot about easter eggs here um i think your mentor was really onto something yeah he he was he was right about this it is like i said it's surprising how often you think, you know, I bet that's in Brewer's book of uh, phrase and fable. And you look it up and uh, it is there. And there's quite a few, quite a few things that I would not, I'm in the end section, not reading any of those. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Ted, what do you got? Well, let's see. On kindergarten virtual learning, I'm reading this from my, uh, my Leuch term pocket notebook which i have in fact completed and i've since misplaced uh, my next book which is a field notes uh golden gilded edges the name's not coming to me field notes on golden pond yes yes starring henry fonda as old grandpa it was gonna be the (laughs) yeah they were they were group 13 supposed to be called the elemental edition i think the elemental they called it group 13 yeah well, it doesn't matter because I can't find it, so it's it's uh, it's a paperweight somewhere. Uh, but here I've written uh, on kindergarten virtual learning uh, for my son. He's in a dual language program, mind you, so uh, uh, lots of Spanish is spoken, and it's it's really quite delightful. Uh, but whenever uh, the teacher has technical issues. Uh, and she's working her way through them. The kids all start chanting, Si se puede, si se puede. <laughs> it's fantastic. I can't imagine that it's at all helpful for a person trying to navigate technical issues to, right. uh, to have uh, little chanting voices, but it sure is charming from this end. That's adorable. What do you got, Adam? <laughs> okay, well, this is this is a different one. And uh, I guess the last one was a different one, too. But uh, in high school, my buddies and I used to go to a hot dog place called Bobo's. And for all of our lives since then, for the last 25 years, uh, Bobo has been like a part of a mythic punchline, like... um, you know, the guy behind the counter was Bobo in our minds, even though I'm, I'm sure his name was Sam or something. And uh, in fact, like 99% sure his name was Sam. And, uh, you know, like Bobo was, you know, I'm sure at some point my dad in jokes, all of our dads, um, 
Bobo did this after work, Bobo did that after work. And then in the years since we've all kind of gone our own separate ways, there's occasionally like news about Bobo that's all made up and fictional and texts about Bobo. And, you know, I actually uh, went to Bobo's last week or a few weeks ago, and there were lots of photos just of the fact that I was in Bobo's. Big, big deal for us. Um, and it's just a punchline, and it's like, it just filled our lives just with these meaningless jokes. But I've, I have written in my notebook, Bobo, Emmett Till. And I discovered that, led this week, that Emmett Till's real, actual nickname was Bobo. And I wow. texted it off to the group. And, you know, that's that was the, rea- the reaction that you had, was the reaction that I had, was the reaction that they so had. And so, so it's over. Yeah, you exactly. Exactly. Done. 25 years of this and just that was just the end of it. One, yep. one, one stroke of the yep. uh, tip of the pad of your finger. Yep. Yeah. So. Well, I just hope you don't find yourself going back in time and replacing Bobo with the name Emmett Till in all of these various <laughs> communications. You don't think I should correct the record with my time machine? <laughs> I didn't say that. All right. Anyway, so that was uh, that was a big, fantastic. weird, strange wow. moment for me. But yeah, exactly. That's the end of it. What do you got, Ted? Uh, so every night, uh, bedtime, read a story to my daughter. And she, before her little eyes flutter closed, gives me an assignment. This was not something we did before pandemic times. I think it's one of those things where, you know, gives you a little bit of, a little bit of something to look forward to the next day, you know. She gets to uh, check in on my assignments. There's no punchline to this, by well, the way. What is your assignment, or have what? Do you have a well, recent so, assignment? So, so there are there are two categories. The first uh, are digital drawings on the iPad, where I downloaded this free. Uh, you know, you can simulate paints and markers and all in nice colors and things. So you can put together a pretty cool looking piece of art but she you know she would assign uh i've drawn uh anime uh warrior princesses i've drawn castles uh we're talking i drew a a statue of uh of a, a greek goddess of war whose name is escaping me artemis or one of these that one was bad that was real bad uh <laughs> lots of different drawings which I, it's actually quite peaceful uh and let's see tonight my assignment was to complete the stairs on our palace in minecraft um so she she doesn't actually get to play minecraft that much however she does give me assignments to complete in mine in her project in minecraft so that we can then circle back and she can check on my my progress she uh she said I had to make the stairs in the colors of the color wheel, you know, and then she went to recite red, orange. Yeah, and I said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna remember those. And she said, Here, quick, I'll write it down for you. Let me get and I you know what? Get back in bed. It's bedtime. <laughs> the stairs will not be in that order. But uh it's um rather delightful. There it's it's I think there's a wild variation in how my mind responds to an assignment, uh, depending on the day. There are days when it, it really is kind of a salve 
to uh, to actually have something to accomplish in an evening that's completely uh, tangential to grown-up concerns. Yeah. And it's even having an assignment can be kind of nice. Yeah. Um, it's a funny thing. Well, it's an interesting thing. That does sound nice. I've just, you know, I think you probably hear the concern in my voice, and I'm worried that it's that the t- time that you're spending on these staircases is going to take away uh, from the time that you're supposed to be spending on selling turnips for me on my island in Animal Crossing. Because my children said that they needed money in Animal Crossing. And so I, you know, I started with the turnip thing. And then once I realized I could give it to you, it was fine. But now you're building staircases. I mean, if you want, I'll work on your staircase. You don't tell your daughter. I mean, I haven't told my kids that you're selling the turnips for me. Maybe we can work this thing out. What are this? What are those called? The, uh, the like office parks full of, uh, was it World of Warcraft miners? Like Some mine, farms. Some sort of gold. farms, or yeah, I don't... something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's been that's what we've been reduced to in these. That times. would be fantastic. Like if you could, um, hire someone on the other side of the globe to build the stairs and that like so she would give you the job like just build these stairs for me in minecraft and you had the inclination to spend money to have someone else do it and then but that person had to get done that they had to finish before your daughter woke up so that so that you could play it off like children it's time for us to learn a lesson about overseas outsourcing. <laughs> I like the idea I mean, of you trying to cover for it, though. Like, not not telling her. Come on. Yeah. And then yeah. she's disappointed in the quality of the stairs. 5% of a Bitcoin for uh, getting this thing at 10 a.m., pal. You got another thing coming. <laughs> I have been, um, for work, I've been occasionally having... Um, uh, uh, like webinars transcribed um which was my clever idea of like taking some things and turning them into uh content on the client's website and um i you're, often you're the monocle you're the monocle magazine of your of your realm right right content probably yeah yeah um and they do a fantastic job at it actually but um the amount of time i i spend trying to take the spoken word and turn it into something that would read correctly i i'm yeah wonder how much time i've i wonder what i'm really getting out of it by having someone else transcribe it it has nothing to do with the quality of the transcription and everything to do with the garbage quality of the way that we speak to each other that's right which reminds which me is when you're done with the turnips if you positive, wouldn't mind right. transcribing the video that i'm gonna send you uh, it's gonna. It's gonna cost you twenty four percent of a bitcoin if you want me to do that by eight a.m. tomorrow morning, so that your your child is ready to uh, review the transcription for accuracy. Great, fantastic. I appreciate. It. Yes, yes. My children are gonna are gonna read the transcription. Fantastic, Ted. I have been trying to write things, and I have been struggling. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that maybe we could continue the conversation that we started last week when we were talking a little bit about how to write one song. Um, Indeed. So I have been using some of the 
workshops, techniques, whatever that Jeff Tweedy recommends in that book to create some new language. And I've been using it to inspire some of my writing when I read that thing about drawing room. And then I found with drawing room, actually, I wrote a whole scene about it. Maybe I filled like 10 pages in my field notes notebook, which is, um, you know, to do it one sitting for me is pretty good because usually I'm just writing down, uh, you know, quips about bad grandpa. Um, but what I found and what I've been finding is that what I'm writing, these scenes that I'm writing, don't seem to have a story in them or a plot in them. And, you know, I, I go into it with an open mind thinking that some something will come from it, it'll spark something, and that'll be the next thing that I write. But, um, I don't know, more and more that's just been something that's been, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, picking at me. And I wonder... I wonder if you have the experience of having felt like you had a plot or two in you and whether you still feel like you have a few plots in you or a few stories in you that you'd like to tell or if you ever feel like that part of the writing kind of dries up. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think you and I share that in a sense. Um, there... It's it's such an interesting topic to me, because you know I mean even the fact that we we essentially create uh, notebooks full of fragmentary materials that's kind of uh, we enjoy it on some level, yep. um, and and I think we both we both tend to shy away. we both have writerly aspirations but tend to shy away from kind of the the the, the grand narrative and. You know, I, I, for times, listened to the, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, but it's a, a podcast called, I think, The Serpent and the something. I will look that up and put it in the link. But it's, it's kind of a, they're in the realm of, you know, like sci-fi books and genre and digging deep on like, like um, they almost... Um, they're so into the plot that the plot is the primary vehicle, you know, to mm -hmm. the point where you're saying, does anybody know about, a, you know, it's like a romance with a with a roguish main character, but then a reluctant uh, romantic interest, you know, like like that's that's what they that's what they absorb. And then I think that's what they write as well, because that's that's their worldview. You and I are just on the other end of that. Yeah, um, and that's so on Be the I, Serpent, right? Is that the podcast? Be the Serpent, thank you. Yeah. Uh, which is a very fun podcast. And they're, they're big champions of NaNoWriMo, I believe. And I think that was how I tuned into them last year. Oh, by the way, Adam, how's your novel? <laughs> yeah, coming? well, this, I guess this is our NaNoWriMo discussion. Um, and, uh, and actually, you know, what I wrote last year, which I did not finish, I did at least, like, have a story for it. Like, there was, yeah. there was a kidnapping, and it was a um, kind of a dystopic future. Um, and, but at least there was, like, that kidnapping. And I find, you know, I, I find it so hard. Like, I want to lie to myself and say that the fact that my like uh, my mother told me she attended a Zoom funeral early on that got um, she got cut off after forty minutes because they were using uh, the the free Zoom. Like to me, I want that to be the story. But the reality is yes. that is not a yes. story. 
you know. That, that... No, I, so I have numerous. I have a few thoughts, and all of them are stolen from other people. Great. Number one, a colleague of mine said recently, she was in a writing workshop, and the the teacher's uh, mantra was character is everything. So, you know, the idea that you love that detail about the Zoom meeting, you haven't even mentioned a character. Right. Like there's there's that difference between a plot point or something really funny or really interesting and the entire journey that a, that a human being goes on bouncing off of other human beings in precarious situations or not. Okay, that's the one thing I stole from somebody else. Here's the other thing I'm stealing. Today I happened to watch a clip, um, I think it's from the Eyes on Cinema Twitter account, which yep. I, who, know, who knows who they are. They post interesting things. Uh, it was Russian a thoughts. little, it was a little <laughs> Coen Brothers uh, interview snippet around the time of Blood Simple, which I, I can't even remember if I watched that movie, but... Uh, he, they, he, uh, they were talking about just the whole, just the whole um, zone that they wanted to be in. It was film noir. They were thinking about, you know, some of the classic writers, Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, and they, you know, they were talking about their little their twist that they wanted to do, and essentially they, they their idea was to put someone who is innocent of a murder into a situation where. A murder had taken place, and that person feels as if uh, they will be, I guess, wrongly accused of the murder. So that this innocent person had to then go through these trials and tribulations of covering up a murder that they didn't even commit. Mm -hmm. And it 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 really was it, he that he I can't remember which Cohen brother it was, but he laid out uh, the human scenario uh in which you know they were a, a person was in a situation that they had to work their way out of and if they you know when you look at it that way if you're going to do something that's not just a scene the person has to get out of the situation or not get out of it so you know when i think about what you're talking about you know, I wonder, are you putting someone in a situation that they actually have to work their way out of or around or reach a new place? And can you do more to force that home? You know, can you say, this is not just a scene of a Zoom funeral. It's a scene where, you know, uh, someone's watching a Zoom funeral and they have to somehow engage with someone who's at the funeral. So then they have to navigate. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah, they, they and I think the the writers that that create tension within their writing. I mean, it's it's fantastic to experience, um, but you you realize every time that it's the dynamic between people that that's that brings the energy of whatever you're reading. You know, it's it's not knowing, it's 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 not knowing how people are going to respond to a situation. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, I, that goes back to something that I guess I know and forget or just know and never do, which is, right, the character wants something and there's something standing in the totally. way of them. And what, even in, like, the little, the, the scene that I wrote about the drawing room, 
maybe I don't have anything where the character wants something. I sometimes think that the issue that I face is that I don't, well, there's many issues that I face, but when I'm writing that I don't (laughs) want to, like, I don't want to take the bold, um, you know, in Blood Simple, uh, they have to murder someone. There's been a murder. Somebody needs to be murdered. Uh, in the story that I wrote for Nano Remo, there was uh, kidnapping. I think I killed people. And I think even though I will read those books and something, I'll, I'll read books where those sorts of things happen and I'll enjoy them. Um, I, I tend to default to like these smaller moments. And I read plenty of yeah. books that are filled with those smaller moments too. And I like those just as much. And I think because maybe we write what we know that I'm looking for these smaller, these little fragments that exist in my life. And if I can get a character in there, great. But but I don't go for that big like story. Yeah. I don't find a story for it. Well, you know, I think I think what, again, what when you look at what you've read that are the small moments... Uh, the writer has put the same amount of effort into that small moment that they did into the murder, you know, and you, you pay, it's slowly paced or it's, it, everything is positioned well. And the, you know, the logic of it all makes sense and, and all of this. So it's, you know, it's, I, I think you're, you're probably not giving yourself enough time or you're not, you're not defining what the end point is. Right. No matter whether it's a small situation or a large situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I, you know, it's a heck of a thing to try and write anything with a beginning, a middle and end, man, it's super hard. Do um, you write, I mean, do you find yourself writing scenes in your notebook or something like, do you find yourself writing fiction in your notebook that you don't know exactly to, what it's going to be before you start i used to do that a lot and i i really honestly found myself where you are which is that f- too frequently it wouldn't really go anywhere and then i i kind of just i eased off of it now i've worked on longer stuff uh that's been that, that i enjoy but I, I don't spend much time in the notebook doing that anymore yeah um, I don't know. And so I think, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that it wasn't really, you know, if you write all these different fragments and they're not really going anywhere and, you know, maybe I wasn't even enjoying them that much. Um, that, that's what I think ended up being the clincher for me is like, it wasn't, there was no real payoff. I think a kind of quick, a quick note with a little turn of wit or, uh, observation was, was more interesting to me than, all of the many fragments of fiction that were kind of disjointed and all that. I, I, I'm more likely to have a document on a computer that I'm going to work over and kind of add to um, where I know it's in one place rather than, you know, having a piece here and one notebook, a piece there and not another notebook. It was sort of taking a fragmentary impulse and, and splitting it up even further. I think if you're working, maybe, you know, maybe you've got a big document going and as you, you know, an idea occurs to you for a scene, you know, jot that down in your pocket notebook and then go back and try and incorporate it later. That's more of the approach that I'm likely to take. Well, I think that's, I I think that's actually a really good point to 
hey, I don't know, there's a good point to focus on, which is, I don't know, if, if it's a three, two, one. I think that's a good point to focus on just for a second. I think there's something you've said that's very true, which is if you're trying to write something that's more substantive and something that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, a notebook, which is where I'm trying to start this or generate ideas for it, is not really the place for that, a little pocket notebook. Um, and yeah. that that is probably a mistake. I think what I've been trying to do is something that I believe writers do. I think... I think I remember Donna Tartt talking about, you know, just filling pages and pages, but probably a larger notebook, actually. I think I, yeah. I think this was an interview. I think I remember a larger notebook, but still, filling pages and pages and pages, and writers write and write and write until they find the scene they're looking for. Or, but they're writing this, they probably know that they're trying to write a certain scene. They keep writing, they overwrite it, and maybe they get more from it. But putting that down in a pocket notebook, uh, trying to find some time to write something creative and spark ideas at the end of the night. Um, yeah. I, I have to be open to the idea that that is not necessarily going to work, but likely not going to work. Yeah. Um, but it, maybe it'll spark something that sparks something that I should sit down and give more space to, whether it's in a, a yeah. larger notebook or in a computer or something like that. I think you have to you have to be dedicated to creating something larger. I don't think it, at least for you and I, it it doesn't happen naturally. Uh, it takes more of a deliberate effort. And you know the things that I have finished, um, in you know in the last few years, which it's not many, but it's it's when I've been really determined towards a particular objective and then use the tools around me to kind of feed into the, whatever the main document is. Usually it's a, a digital, like a Word document or a Google Docs. That's that's when I have been successful rather than relying on a, I, I, you're totally right, a small pocket notebook, unless you're just extremely disciplined, is is not a place that makes the brain want to return to material or to, you know, to look at it as a large core body of a of a project it's just there's just a disconnect there which is partly why i really enjoy it because i'm not a i'm not a person who's always working on something bigger um but yeah i mean i you know in my head i think i'm not gonna be able to name them but you know the the legal pad i've been surprised how many writers over the years uh, you know, basically say that they write long form stuff on a legal pad and you know, just tear through it. Um, and which it's is not, you know, we've trained ourselves to be a little more picky than that. But you know, when you're when you're writing long stuff and you're trying to zero in, um, that ex that actual physical, you know, the height of it and the disposability of the paper and all that probably really serves a an important role. And actually, I mean, the, just the size of the paper, the fact that the pa the page is much bigger than the pocket notebook. I mean, it's obvious. It's sort of obvious now that we've that we're digging into it. But I think it's it makes sense that the hosts of a show that folk 
focuses on taking notes and basically using pocket notebooks might need a little reminder every once in a while. At least I might need a little <laughs> reminder that uh, that well, is not the tool for every project. Um, you know, it's a funny thing. I, I've mentioned my the NAMI 7Cs notebook several times. And this, it's the 7Cs uh, writer from Studio Note. I don't really, I can't figure out. I keep saying Nanami. I don't know where that came from. I don't know what Studio Note is. Uh, it's some conflagration of corporation and product that I don't understand, but it's a really beautiful notebook full of Tomoe River paper. And what, you know, it, it, the, the irony of it is that I have sat down at the end of many days in these times. Well, this is actually, I've only had this in September, but, and, and written sort of longer, more meandering, just traditional journal entries. And I have a very hard time using these for the, for the podcast. You know, it's, it's ironic that at a time when I'm writing more pages, um, you know, from my life, uh, it hasn't given me any additional sort of the kind of bite size things that we really like to share with each other. So there's a, even within that dichotomy that almost kind of illustrates it. Is that because most of what you're writing though is like, uh, essays about the different ways that you could design the staircases in Minecraft? Let's do this again next week, Adam. What do you say, bud? Sounds great. Thanks so much, Ted. You can check us out on the internet at takenote.space, which doesn't sound like a website, but I can assure you that it is. Uh, we're on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash takenotepod. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>